The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the forum today. I want to welcome you. My name is Russell Matthews, and I want to welcome you to the series, The Forum Goes to the Flicks. Um, I, I hope you were able to make it to the forum last, year, last week that we had, um, where we had um, Giles Hardy, Adrian Drayton, and also Laura Bennett um, talking about the whole notion and idea of Hollywood's take on God's script, looking at kind of films and, and films in particular that to kind of take on the notion idea of the Bible, um, but uh, looking at the different themes and things that came from that discussion. Hope you're able to enjoy that and come along. If not, we do have the audio and the video up on our website, so if you'd like to watch um, either of those forums, that would be fantastic. Today, we're going to, just as a natural extension from the forum, we're going to be looking at a topic that, that is kind of a vehicle that you see throughout many films in regards to revenge. Today, we intentionally spelled it real revenge, looking at um, film and the whole idea of revenge, but then looking at what the Bible has to say about that and also maybe even giving a better answer than the whole notion of revenge. Today's speaker will be Al Stewart. Um, he'll give a talk for about oh, wait, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Not 10. <laughs> trying to get, it, uh, get down there. Um, and during that time, what we encourage you to do is obviously listen, take n- notes if you'd like. But if you do have questions, which they will come up, um, it, there's all these different ideas kind of taken in a very short talk. Please write them down on the small slip of paper on the inside of your outline. Or we'll have on the screen for you also an SMS number if you'd like to send them in via SMS. We will ask Al those questions after his talk, um, either the written ones or also the SMS questions, um, for the remainder of the time. So uh, please take the time. Also, if you're willing, you can always ask the questions from the floor yourself. At the end, we'll kind of go through and explain some of the little bits of paper on the inside of the outline. But at this time, I'm going to just hand it over to Al. Thanks, Al. Well, good afternoon, and uh, well done for being here. It is uh, very chilly, and there's a big temptation to just stay in the office and stay warm, so well done. Uh, now, I've been asked to speak on, uh, on the topic of uh, revenge in the movies, and I was actually surprised how, much how easy it is to find material. I thought of a few of the ones I've seen, and then you just go to Google and dial it in, um, uh, type in revenge movies, and there's people who put together the 10 best revenge movies, 16 best revenge movies, 30 best revenge movies, which might show some people have too much time in their hands. But here's some of the uh, classics that came up. Uh, now, how we go? Russ, we the first one. This one, of course. Gladiator, Russell Crowe. Uh, I know we got the best actor Oscar. Did that one get best picture as well? I think it did. I thought about showing you the that little clip of him in the, uh, in the Coliseum where he says his name. Now, the trouble is, I'd never get you back. Uh, you watch a bit of that, and then uh, just bald headed out again. So, okay. So, Gladiator, next one that jumps out is now, Charles Bronson's Death Wish. They were uh, in the 70s. I never liked those movies. I think I saw one of them, uh, and he set up a revenge motif. They did terrible things to his family and wife and daughter, and did not like it. 
And it was it popular? Yes, it went to death with one, two, three, four, five, I think. Uh, next one, please, Russ. That's the original Mad Max with a very young and uh, good-looking Mel Gibson who all about uh, revenge and then there's also sequels to that. Um, Mel Gibson likes the payback or revenge movies and this one uh, really is focused on revenge. Uh, and then uh, one more. Uh, Clint Eastwood has made a whole lot of these as well and Unforgiven, well, I think anyway, it's the best western. It's, uh, it's a cracker. But the notice, you notice the thing that they've all got in common is it's all blokes, it's all men's movies. But what you notice in the book is just as many about women and revenge. And they're a little more um, nuanced. So uh, one that jumped out, First Wives Club, The Revenge of the uh, Middle-Aged Women. Uh, the next one is kind of different, that is Kill Bill with Uma uh, Thurman. The plot's a little bit strange, that is in that one, she kills everybody except Bill. And he kills him in the sequel, Bill Bill, again, or Coop, whatever it was called. Okay, yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, next one, Thelma and Louise getting revenge on Buffhead males. And uh, all the men that they take revenge on deserve it in this movie. Um, different, uh, a change of pace, legally blonde, as uh, she gets revenge on anyone that thinks that blondes are done. But I've got to say, the number one revenge scene in any movie I've ever seen jumped out at me. It's in a movie called, made from a book called The Hell. And I thought it was just a movie that I've watched to keep Kathy happy and kind of a girly thing. And yet, Minnie Jackson's Chocolate Pie, if you're not aware of that scene, you just nod your head. And uh, if you're not, I won't spoil it. You can watch The Hell. It really is revenge. Now, I want to ask you, What's the attraction? What drives revenge movies? Anyone want to, what, what is it that kind of makes them so popular? The victory of good over evil. Yes, yes, that's true. <coughs> What's emotionally satisfying about it? I don't want to admit it. But that is, what's emotionally satisfying is revenge feels good. And we get to kind of join precariously uh, with, with the person, the hero, whoever they she is, getting their revenge. Now, what is revenge? Uh, Russ went to uh, an Oxford Dictionary. Here we are. The action of hurting or harming someone in return for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. The desire to repay an injury or wrong to inflict hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong done to oneself. You know, it's revenge about paying back something that happened in the past and it's about me doing it, myself or you doing it, yourself. you're the one that's hurt, you do it. It's subtly different to justice, well actually significantly different. Here's the definition of justice, the quality of being fair and reasonable, i.e. the justice of his case, the administration of the law or authority in maintaining this. It's the idea, justice kind of characterises the idea that a third party, someone who is objective, will work out proper consequences. Now, there's, there's even, um, if you like, neurological, physiological research being done about why revenge feels good. So, a great little article um, in the uh, New York Times, if you want to Google that, 
Uh, why revenge tastes so sweet? Benedict Carey, New York Times, that, that will come up. Uh, what he says is some of the, the doctors and urologists have done uh, research. Well, let me read you the quote. Uh, research done by Eddie Harmon Jones, a, a neurologist from Wisconsin. Using brainwave technology, Dr. Eddie Harmon Jones. Uh, has found that when people are insulted, they show a burst of activity in the left prefrontal cortex, uh, a part of the brain that is also active when people prepare uh, to satisfy hunger and some cravings. So this thing goes off in part of your brain, and in the article it says it's like when people eat chocolate or you're about to have a really good meal. It's that kind of anticipation of pleasure. But there is a problem. They say, yet... The nature of appetite-like urges, scientists say, is to err on the side of excess. Although soup and salad might suffice, hungry people dream of the buffet dinner. Likewise, those who feel wronged very often overdo it, engaging in extravagant, almost sensual fantasies of payback, of wrecking a household, snuffing out a career, dancing on a grave. The problem is when... When we pay something back, it's impossible, pretty much impossible, to be objective, to actually get it right. Now, um, you can vicariously enjoy the kind of payback in a, in a movie and, and the worse the villain, the worse the wrong that's been done, the more enjoyable when they get theirs paid back. But in the real world, it's not pretty, is it? And it, it's easy to see that in other people. So I don't know if you've followed the, the news stories about what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. About a, a week ago, I think it was, the three Israeli um, teenagers are found dead and one side's blamed for that and then uh, the Palestinian boy, about 17, is kidnapped and tortured, burned and now it's tit for tat and it's escalated. And it's about revenge. It's about payback to a wrong that's been done and not proportional... And, and I guess that's kind of, if you like, the, the top of the tree and it goes right down to when, maybe when people annoy us and maybe we don't say anything, we just no, don't say anything to them. Maybe we just gossip or quietly hate them or character, you know, character assassinate them or, as, as my family used to call it, send them to Coventry, just not talk to them. So revenge can kind of take on a whole range of different actions. Now, if you've never wanted to take revenge on someone, uh, you've had a really blessed life, okay? I'd put it to you, if you never wanted to take revenge on someone, it's just no one's ever really pushed your buttons. The Bible has a lot to say about revenge. The Bible actually talks in the Old Testament about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that sounds like kind of building in revenge, doesn't it? I mean, you might like to talk about that at question time, comments, we can talk about that. But I wanted to talk to you from the New Testament about three very clear things the Bible says about don't take revenge. In your program is part of the New Testament. Um, the first quote is from a part of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. Um, and if you look there, this chapter uh, from chapter 12. Let me give you the first reason that it says... Uh, so he's writing also to the followers of Jesus. Okay, so um, as Paul writes, if you follow Jesus, he's saying there's no need, in fact, don't take revenge. 
if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this, this may be a difficult thing to hear because that revenge comes so naturally to us. These three reasons are actually built into what, the, what people who follow Jesus built into what they actually believe about God. It's three things about God that mean revenge shouldn't happen. Is it easy? No. Uh, this is a hard, a hard thing to hear. All right, first reason. First reason not to take uh, revenge, that is, it's God's job to do it. See chapter 12, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So he's very realistic. It takes two to live at peace, doesn't it? Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now he's quoting there. When he says it's mine uh, mine to avenge, I'll repay, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Now, the English, the English translation out of the original language is trying to give us the sense of it, and it's a good translation. But if you look at verse 19, the word revenge and the word avenge is exactly the same word in, in the original Greek. Uh, it's the idea of give someone what they deserve, kind of to, to pay back. And the problem, what, what Paul's saying here, the problem is this, it's not, the problem is not that actions should have consequences, the problem is doing it yourself, okay? It, the problem is taking revenge, handing out the consequences yourself. Why? Because it's almost impossible to be objective about it. And uh, as that article in the New York Times said, you know, an eye for an eye becomes actually two eyes or a face for an eye or perhaps even a head or whatever. Now, he's not saying... Paul's not saying no to self-defence, which is based in stopping something happening in the future. Um, It's actually no to revenge, which is retaliation to something that's happened in the past. And the point being, there's no need to do that. God has it in control. The God of the Bible believes in consequences for actions. The God of the Bible is a judge. He will do it. Trust him. Which is not easy when you've been wronged, is it? Um, The Apostle Peter, who travelled with Jesus, in his first letter, um, makes a big thing about Jesus, that when Jesus was badly treated, beaten, tortured, etc., he didn't retaliate. He trusted himself to God, who vindicated him. God is the one um, to trust. So that's the first one. It's God's job to avenge. He's the judge. He'll do it. Second one, you see... uh, As Paul writes the letter, he moves from Romans chapter 12, which is about personal relationships, where he says, don't take revenge. And then he moves on to the state, uh, to governments and so on, set up by God. See, chapter 13, verse 1, you get, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, what is one of the reasons why God has set up uh, governments, authorities? See verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And you won't pick it up in the English translation, but that word punishment in verse 4 
is exactly the same word as back in chapter 12, verse 19, where uh, Paul said, don't take revenge for yourself. So the idea is the governments that are set up, courts, police forces, they're objective and God set them up to bring justice uh, for us. Now, I know, I know we can say, well, what if they're not just or what if they're corrupt or what if... They... You've got to think about all those things, yes, but the default position is God set up governments to bring justice and that's what they're there for. Uh, generally in Australia, I think we do pretty well on that count. Okay, so the second reason... God's servants that are bring justice. Now, it's obviously not talking about um, trivial or, you know, minor things. It's if you've been seriously wrong, it's not wrong to call the police or take it to court. Uh, Okay, third reason is God's example. And that is, rather than retaliate and, and revenge, what does God do? God forgives people or God offers forgiveness and I've got a quote there from uh, Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus. See, Ephesians chapter 4. See what he says about the way that people who follow Jesus should treat one another? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. She's saying rather than think about retaliation, forgive. I want you to think about something. Why is it, why is it easier to retaliate Better to forgive. Why is it easier to retaliate than to forgive? Forgiving costs. Peter says, forgiving costs. In what way, mate? Uh, you foreshow the compensation you are hoping to get by retaliating, by mental compensation. Exactly right. Forgiveness costs. That is, if someone hurts me, I don't have a moral right to give that to give that pain back. That's just our natural kind of bounce back. You, you've hurt me. I'll hurt you. Uh, and as Peter says, to forgive costs. As I spoke yesterday uh, at Angel Place, uh, Ben, one of uh, my friends, said, "It's like." Forgiving, you get hurt twice. You get the original hurt, and then you've got to suck that up and not hurt the other person back. That is why forgiveness is, it always costs. It always hurts. And why it's so hard to do in reality. I know hypothetically it's always yes, we should forgive, but in reality it's not easy. Now what's the example that God offers us forgiveness? Uh, how? That, that we have wronged God, we have disobeyed Him, dishonoured Him, we've damaged people that He loves, we've done wrong, we're guilty before Him, we deserve to be punished. And God takes that punishment Himself in the person of His Son Jesus, that Jesus died in our place so that we can be forgiven. Forgiveness, forgiveness always costs, and it costs God the life of His Son. Now, Jesus is really appointed about this. That is, that anybody who will come to God and ask for forgiveness, there's free and full forgiveness there. All you've got to do is, is ask and trust Him. There it is. But, 
if we want God's forgiveness, we've got to be prepared to share that forgiveness with others. If God's forgiven us this much, we should be able to forgive other people the small things that whatever it is they, they've done to us. You see that in the way Jesus says uh, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our sins the way we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us our debts the way we forgive our debtors. It's got a sharp edge on it. Now we can talk a little bit more about forgiveness and what's involved, if you like, in, in question time. Uh, but that's, um, that's the three reasons. Revenge is about retaliation. It's about things that have happened in the past. Three reasons why not to do that. One, God is judge. He's got it. He has it under control. Uh, Two, uh, God has put government and authority in place to bring justice. And three, God offers his forgiveness to people. The New Testament calls us, if we will follow Jesus, that we should be ready to forgive others as well. All right. All right, Russ. Okay. Well, if you have any questions, the number's up on the screen. You can always SMS in your question. Or if you did write down a question, there's a small slip of paper on the inside of your outline. You're more than welcome to write those questions down. You can just grab the attention of Craig or uh, a tour, and they'll be able to pick those up and bring those up to me. And uh, Or if you just want to put up your hand and ask a question from the floor, you're more than welcome to do that. I do have a couple questions for you right off, off the get-go, but um, see if you fuel any more questions, which looks like they already have. Great. All right, the first question is, how would you move past significant hurt in relationships and leave it to God, especially when the other person is not sorry? As I was saying, uh, how, I'll probably repeat the question. Will that be on the tape, Russell? Yeah, it will be on the, it will be on the tape, yep. When the other person is not sorry. That's what I say, this is not these and... It's funny, I, I talk on lots of different topics in different places. The topic that generates the most heartache and questions out of all of them is the issue of forgiveness. Because everyone's been hurt in some way. Uh, it's actually this teaching that means you can move past it. I can talk in a moment like about forgiveness. I think the other person needs actually, to, for proper forgiveness to happen, the other person needs to be repentant, meaning in the Bible says that they come back and they ask to be forgiven. If someone does that, it's absolutely crystal clear that the follower of Jesus should forgive them, even if it's difficult. But if someone's not sorry and they're not repentant, it's actually being able to let it go, let it go through to God, who's got it, who cares, who will deal with it. It's actually that that can give you peace. And uh, being able to leave that with God rather than stew on it, be bitter about it. it. To do that will poison you. Now, it can take time. The distance between your head and your heart might only be, what, half a metre, something like that. But it can take a very long time for a decision to go from here to here. That is, I decide I will leave, leave this matter with God and let it go and not retaliate. But it can take a long time to feel it. Or to feel peace about. Okay. More than happy to. Actually, there was kind of a pushback on that. There was a pushback on that via SMS. How about the unforgivable sin? So sometimes it's just not forgivable. Well, it depends what you mean by the unforgivable sin. The 
New Testament talks about one sin that's unforgivable in Mark chapter 3, which is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? Uh, if, I can, if I can give you a, a abbreviated version. It's a deliberate rejection of God's Spirit pointing to Jesus and showing who He is. It's a continued saying, no, I don't want to know Jesus, I don't want to know His forgiveness, I'm not interested. That is something in the end God won't, God can't forgive. Because you're forgiven on the basis of Jesus. Mm. Now there will be other things, that other terrible things that will be done that uh, we will find very hard to forgive. You can fill in the gaps. The point is this, what's the Bible saying? Don't take revenge yourself. It's almost impossible, especially with these terrible dark things, it's almost impossible for um, for us to be objective about it. Okay? The idea is to let it go through to God who sees, who cares, who will deal with it, either in this life or on the judgment day. Okay? And that that can actually give us peace. It's not the same as saying there's no consequences. It's not the same as saying let it happen again. It's not the same as saying be naive and stupid. That's okay. Also, uh, personal forgiveness is not the same as the law looking the other way or something. So someone may wrong you, and you can imagine there's a royal commission about a whole lot of stuff that you can fill in the gaps. Someone may wrong you and ask for forgiveness and you may personally take a deep breath and decide that you can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that the law, state, the police, the courts will do that. It's their job to bring justice. Chapter 12 is personal relationships. Chapter 13 is the state. Okay. All right, actually, you brought up the state. That was actually the next question. It was based on, it was, because there's two questions here on objective. Um, objective is often associated with making true and right judgments. Governments um, don't always make true and right judgments, as you said in the talk. But in what sense do you mean that governments are objective in their administration of justice? Is it simply that they are a third party? Yes, I think it's that they're a third party. Mm. It's that it's that the judge who looks at the penalties uh, is able to say, well, uh, this is this is fair and reasonable, and that he or she is objective rather than us who are by definition emotionally involved. I think that's the point. Okay. Now it doesn't mean. See, I think this is the default setting that that governments are to be God's servants and be just. Often. In history, that has not been the case. And then you've got to work out how do you respond, as the apostles say, will we obey God or man? Okay, well, it's God or people. You've got to, you've got to weigh that up. Um, the bad news is, I think, as you read um, uh, Peter's first letter in chapter 2, he says, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're unjustly treated by the government, suck it up. There you go. Okay. okay. Once again, that's a default position. Does it mean you would never act against an unjust government? No. But there's a sense in which you, you treat it unjustly, suck it up, and then it goes through to God who judges. Okay.
All right. Well, that actually takes it to the next the the next question that's still on the level of objective punishment. You mentioned objective punishment is something we cannot do, but God can. Is God truly objective? Looking at Genesis four, the seventh sevenfold revengeance. Okay, great. Um, this one, I'm, I'm just going to kind of, for the sake of the, the audience, I'm going to kind of uh, not edit, but just kind of put in a word. Um, is that what you're talking about? Is that we, we mean we should not minis pie on what on others um, if they have done something wrong on you? doesn't taste very good. All right. Taste isn't, yes, revenge isn't as sweet. All right. Sorry. I had to do it. I'm a dad. (coughs) Sorry about that. Okay. This kind of goes to a point in your, just kind of an example you gave, but what is your view on the conflict in Israel and Palestine, kind of the whole defense against, um, is there really a solution to that whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was going to say, we have a couple more questions, but I didn't know if there were any questions from the floor anybody would have, or... No. Right. 
Well, this one is a comment, but it, I think it would be a good opportunity for um, challenge, uh, challenge for parents of teenagers who rebel to be, to be just and not seek revenge is if feeling hurt by them is a proportional loving response. How do we, you know, how do you, how do you tell somebody besides just don't do it? I mean, what is, how do you tell somebody not to do revenge on somebody else? <laughs> it, it's very hard isn't it? this because I've, I've got um, I've had four of them our youngest is 22 now but we've had four and they've all um, uh, all been teenagers and all, they've all been different and uh, there comes a time when they're actually often bigger than me physically and uh, at least well, most of us are smarter than me as well they got their mother's genes so mm. what do you <laughs> And make make rules, and at the same time, they do hurt you. Uh, the, I guess the one thing I'd learned as a dad is never discipline a child when you're angry. And I've done that, and nearly always wrong when I did. So if you can calm down and make decisions when you're calm, that that helps a lot. Okay. Uh, but you do have to do tough things, you know, tough love, discipline. What you've got, parenting's all about trying to get them to feel the consequences of their actions in an age-appropriate way as they grow up. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a second go at it. Actually. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe. There you go. Yeah. All right, this one actually kind of combines a question from today and also just kind of a finishing question we had yesterday. Is that, do you think revenge movies encourage people to take revenge or merely offer kind of a cathartic release? And what, are there any good films on maybe forgiveness or the examples that you're giving here? Yeah. I don't know. Folks, what do you reckon? Do you think revenge movies encourage us to take revenge or are they just kind of cathartic? Was it, uh, John said you see the you see good win over evil and you know, right over wrong. That's, yeah. Oh, I think I'd go for cathartic generally. Okay. Um, but there's some stuff that I like those death wish movies. I don't have any redeeming features at all. <laughs> um, and anything has to be set up by damp by seeing you know mother and daughter brutalised. Uh, movies about forgiveness. I thought you said there's the, um, the part in um, uh, Les Mis where the, uh, the bishop forgives you know, and, and mm. gives him more stuff and lets him off. Right. But that transforms Jean Valjean. But it's very hard to think of other movies that really are about forgiveness. Because I wonder whether that, that forgiveness thing doesn't generate the same precarious pleasure. Mm, right. Yeah. Not as many people, not as big of an audience for those, do you think? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, we put up a few a few on uh, on our Facebook site, just as far as different people had some different ideas. The Descendants was one, as far as looking at the whole idea. Now, some of those films are, you know, language is a little rough and stuff like that for some, but uh, like so, some of those sort of movies. I don't know if there's any, uh, anybody else here who would want to give out any other ideas as far as forgiveness films. Ravine, we're all against it in the hypothetical, but when we're wrong... Very hard to uh, put into practice. Right. There you go. Well, thanks so much, Al. Thanks for your time. And also, if you have other questions, please come on up and uh, talk with Al about some of the uh, upcoming events. I mean, uh, or just some of the discussion points that we had today. We do have some upcoming events that I uh, just want to make sure you're aware of. Um, there is actually kind of an underlying theme, interestingly enough, in this film, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, of forgiveness. Um, uh, it definitely would be worthwhile. Um, the seats are filling quickly. If you're interested in coming along, we actually have two of our panelists here today. If you'd like to chat with them a bit about it, you're more than welcome to. Ben McKechnie and also Adrian Drayton are both here today. Um, we're going to be we're going to ha- watch the film. It's only ten dollars. You get a, a popcorn and a drink on on top of it all. But then at the end, we'll turn up the house lights and we'll kind of engage in some of the discussion points that come out in this film. And uh, I've been able to see the film, and I really enjoyed it. I was really pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. But uh, definitely worthwhile coming along. I think more than anything, the panel is worthwhile, and also the price. You really can't beat the price. It's a pretty good deal for $10. So uh, and it's just up here at Hoyt's Broadway. So uh, I would definitely re- encourage you to register this week if you're interested. Um, we do have the uh, Cosmic Chemistry. The details... Uh, oops. Cosmic Chemistry... Um, details are on the back table. John Lennox will be speaking on the 25th of August, the Monday night. Um, oh, if you haven't had a chance to hear John um, speak, uh, or if you've been able to hear him debate or see some of the different things on YouTube, it's worthwhile. But to hear him live, there's nothing quite like it. I would really encourage you to come along to the talk that he's giving on Do Science and God Mix. I think it would be a worthwhile evening. So definitely go to the website, and I encourage you to be there on the 25th. Also, um, here's a second. One last thing is we have a, we call them the newcomers lunches, but really they're really for anybody who's been coming along for the last few years who'd really be interested in kind of finding out more about City Bible Forum, why we do what we do, um, kind of get to meet the speakers. Um, uh, Ian or Al will be at either one of these um, lunches, and we encourage you to come along. Um, this one is actually will be on Tuesday, the 29th. Um, of July, and so uh, if you're interested, um, the details are should be inside of your outline or on the back table. And uh, we encourage you to come along. It's a free lunch, and it's a great way for you to be able to kind of meet our speakers, but also find out a little bit more about what we do. Because just these public meetings are a small taste of kind of all the different things that we have going on around the city and around the country. So I encourage you to come along to those. So. Um, next week, we will continue in the, the forum on the flicks, and uh, next week we have Adrian Drayton here, who actually was on our panel, on both panels last week. Hopefully you were able to enjoy that, but also come along and hear a talk on Lord of the Lens, Can We Find God in Film? So uh, we encourage you to be here next week. Thank you again, Al, for today. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.